Hi guys, so I've just finished editing and before we start this episode, I just want to give you some quick context and ask a favour. So in this episode, we chat with Luke Hinton, who on multiple occasions has won UK Indie Promoter of the Year. Luke's been in the promotion game for over 15 years and in this conversation, he introduced us to some ideas and perspectives that we've never considered before. That being said, can I ask you to stick with this episode until the end? Despite some background noise from the pub in which we're recording, I truly believe that if you only learn half as much from this conversation as we did, you'll be sharing it with your friends. So, here we go. So, you're a musician. Each week, we're going to discuss survival within the music industry. We'll chat to professionals who can help us and you find a way. Talking about things like how to get a job, what's the point in networking? And staying sane. <laughs> that as well, yeah. So if you're lost and not sure what to do next... Welcome to the club and welcome to the Open Bat Podcast. So Tristan, today we're at a venue that we've spoken about so, so, so much. Yes, you do tend to mention it every episode. Mention so it all the time. Uh, today we're at the Horn uh, and we are joined with Luke Hinton, who's the promoter for the Horn. Hello, how you doing guys? Yeah, we're good. How are yeah. you? I'm not too bad. Good to good to see you both and, and join you for this chat. Perfect. So... I mean, I think we should probably start with if you tell us a little bit about what you do, just for anyone listening. Yeah, so we know. Yeah, well, let's say I'm Luke Hinton. Um, I wear many hats. I think that's uh, <laughs> fair to say. But uh, my primary job is as a promoter and a booker. So I, I run Juicebox Live Promotions uh, as a promotion company, and through that we uh, program three venues, which are the Horn in St Albans, Hartford Corn Exchange, and the Half Moon in Bishop Stortford. Um, but we also put on gigs across the southeast of England, East England, East Anglia. So uh, quite a ra- wide range of uh, places we promote. I've I work for as a consultant for Music Venue Trust. Um, I'm on the advisory board of the Association of Independent Promoters. Uh, lots of things. Anything which generally is trying to benefit and grow the the live industry. Mm, That's yeah. generally something that I want to be involved in and share knowledge. With, with others who who will listen or or want to develop as well yeah definitely so th- obviously like you say a lot of hats a lot going on there Let, let's take it right back so how did you get into into promoting at the start um in all honesty it was because i couldn't be bothered to keep traveling into london to go and watch gigs yeah <laughs> it was it was um i know a lot of bands yeah i know a few who kind of did a few bits and like there's a band called mohair who supported rays light on an arena tour um various other bands getting sort of national press so it was like they were getting an enemy or they was getting radio one coverage and things and i was kind of like oh these are great but i was having to go and watch them in london or actually travel to st albans sometimes to see them play locally and it got to the point of going actually can i do something about it um and it was, and it just was a thing of I contacted one of the pubs locally, said, "Can I put on a night?" Didn't have a clue what I was doing, other huh. than I, I know I can get bands. My then girlfriend, now wife, is a DJ. She'll DJ right. after the band, so it was kind of that thing of, well, we can do that, mm. and we know a few people will come. Right, wow. and and that yeah, that was kind of where it started. And okay, and it, was that quite enlightening <coughs> for you at the time? <clears throat> yeah, it was something of. And a friend of mine used the uh, sort of an example of think about when you organise a birthday party and hope that people turn up. Well, that's the life of a promoter. <laughs> yeah. So, so it is the thing of when you do it once, you're panicking and going, I really don't know what it is. But it all falls together. And because we knew enough people and we'd been involved in doing things, that it, it, 
it ended up working okay but i do look back and go and i just didn't have a clue in some of the stuff and it but it was all it has been something that was all learned as we went it was fun and i was, I was chatting to someone the other day about him who's also a promoter and the, the the thing we had was we could take our own beer and put it in the dressing room we had a whole night watching bands we wanted to see that we didn't have to pay pub prices mm. and it was like and if we're lucky the month the night might break even yeah yeah and say the first few did and so that was kind of like oh we'll do more um but i was really strict on it that we didn't spend the money okay that we keep it because i was like yeah but if the next one doesn't we're where's the money gonna come from yeah exactly yeah. you can always put the next one on then yeah That's so really and that was always something that we we focused on and it's it's always looking at the next gig okay or the next gigs so immediately when you went into it was it was there like a business mind doing it not at all no um it was about watching bands we wanted to watch locally that was all it was right. it fell wow up. that's really interesting it's funny because i i see a lot of similarities in that respect to um i, I work a bit with sofa sounds um and we always have to give the spiel but i've met rafe the, the founder and again exactly that he just wanted to have those gigs in his living room yeah, it, it, look, the, the financial aspect, it was sort of like 15, 16 years ago. It was before the big financial crash at the time. Of course. And everyone seemed to think money grew on trees. So there was definitely an element of that side of it. It's like, oh, people turn up. There's a bit of a Wayne's World, if you book them, they'll come type uh, sort of mentality. But mm. at no point was that, oh, it might make some money. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, it's at grassroots level, there is very little money. Um, so it is something of if you're getting into live music at, at this level to make money you're in the wrong game mm-hmm. um, it's a bit like the quote about what's the quickest way to make a million pounds start with two million pounds by a football <laughs> club or a music venue yeah. so, so there's a lot of that is that there's that there can be finances I do work in the industry full time now but yeah. it is something that it took me probably five ten years before I started to really be able to give up a day job okay and then so during that first five ten years you were working another job alongside the promotion yeah i was working full time okay i was working um was that sorry i'm sure about to answer was that music related not not no no i was working at asos right okay but i prior to well prior to juicebox i'd um been working in the bank okay right saying that i had no financials outlook of it i'd worked in banking but i'd had some money put to one side so I was kind of like if it didn't work I could pay for the nights to happen yeah okay so it wasn't yeah. like but realistically I was like well no that money's not there for that no yeah so so you didn't see it as starting a business no and not then, at all and at what point did it become Juicebox uh, well f- uh, from that point it was the night was called Juicebox right, Indie right so, so from day one it, it became yeah Juicebox it, it was Juicebox Indie so it was, it was right and bang in the middle of like the indie period right so, like when you had bands like Obviously, the Strokes, the Libertines had all come sure. through. And then that sort of 2006, 2007 sort of time when it was like Razorlight and um, The View and bands like that, that they kind of were the, the main bands at that point. Okay. And indie club nights were just a huge thing. So we were like, well, what we'll do is we'll bring something locally. Yeah, no, definitely. And so what sort of bands were... You, you said initially you were you had a few mates that were in bands that were doing quite well and you wanted them to come to your local area. We spoke a little bit before we started recording the podcast about the importance of not, you know, booking the same band again and again and again. Uh, and, and 
obviously how did you deal with that on an early stage where i imagine similar you know to will and i starting this podcast your contact number book does run dry yeah relatively quickly if you're doing three a night well uh, things initially started it was like one show a month okay so i was doing one gig a month uh initially in watford mm-hmm. um then it was about three four months in that the horn got in touch and said would you be interested in doing a monthly night here oh so, so the horn contacted you yeah they oh, were wow. looking basically they were looking for promoters to come in and sure. take some nights off of them okay um but in terms of it it was it was the myspace time Right. So mm. it would be sitting there on MySpace looking for bands. and <laughs> But again, it, being gig goers and mm. all of us who were involved in the early stages were constantly going to gigs so pretty much three, four times a week. So we were yeah. always seeing things. So if I saw a band in London, I'd be like, I can get you on in St Albans or I can get you on in Watford. And then be like, I'm actually, I might know a band who works with that. And it was kind of getting that side yeah, of it. I see. But there's a lot of trial and error. At the end of the day, it's in terms of in those early days it, like a band in their early days their mates turn up or your mates turn up to support it so for me i was constantly texting my mates come to a gig i've got a gig all the time yeah. and to the point of like it got to will you just stop messaging me yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, I'll, I'll come down what were you say trial and error what were some of the big errors in that like that early that early stage um i think trying to do too much too early was one of the things is that in the, within the second year I think we were doing about three or four nights a month in London, right. but in just different areas of London where we had no, we had no sort of connections. We could book the bands, but then it became really like, it was reliant on the bands. Mm. It's a bit like being a venue booker sometimes is that the nights, it, is, it isn't about promoting the band specifically because it's easier to promote one band over the other. Like if you've got a band playing who are getting Radio 1 Airplay or 6 Music Airplay, versus a band playing their first gig you tell joe blogs about the two bands mm. they're probably going to choose the one who are getting the, the radio airplay yeah yeah of course but um it was it so it became the thing of it became it became tougher and i wouldn't say it's a regret or is anything because we learned a lot more we learned about how you promote in different areas and and how you can work with the bands to make shows work mm. so as much as you can sit there and go, okay, I'm going to put on a whole lineup of new bands with no press in an area that they've never been, mm-hmm. you probably, it's not to say it's going to fail because different levels of failure or yeah, of what's course. a success. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. by getting a band to play in the Horn in St Albans and none of the bands have ever been to St Albans, if you can get them playing in front of 10 people, actually, that's, that's a success. That's success, yeah. Yeah, no, I do understand that. But it is the thing, but it's then used in that local knowledge and how you can develop it. So Yeah, absolutely. So what sorts of strategies were you then trying to adopt? So if you were doing shows within London, what sort of ideas? Because I've, and I'm sure Will has as well, uh, as musicians, we've played these shows in London where some of them have just run uh, appallingly. There's 13 bands on a lineup and you mm-hmm. start midway through the day and no one's ever there and there's no one there at the end either. What sort of strategies would you adopt at that point to try and get people on? And also maybe from a band's perspective, what yeah. red flags are you looking out for? Well, I think it's, for me as a promoter, one of the things which we ended up doing was actually stepping away from London okay. because there's so much going on and it, there is a lot of, in terms of the buzzier bands who are getting the press, a lot of them will have contracts with national promoters and right. and there'll be restrictions on how many times they can play in certain areas. So therefore, you're then looking at booking unsigned local bands 
which mm. is great and every band starts from that level but in the same way as I wouldn't necessarily travel to to Manchester to do a night where it's all local bands because my view is it should be someone locally the same as when I started doing Watford and St Albans that I had a local connection to the area yeah. so to me is it's having someone who's based locally to do that sort of night mm. I think in terms of bands it's looking good and this is whether it's doing London or even if it's a venue five minutes outside of your hometown it's questions why are you doing that show what is the purpose of that show if you think you're going to turn up and play to a full room well 99 times out of 100 is probably not going to happen if you've never mm. been to that place before it's probably worth researching it going to one of the nights in advance so if you're playing in london go to a show that's happening there and see what the night's like if there's no one there on the night that you're that you're attending and you don't know who any of the bands are there's a good chance that if you don't take your own fan base to that show in london your night's going to be very uh, similar yeah absolutely so yeah. at the end of the day it might be that you're playing that show to play to one person but that one person is from a record label that you've invited down yeah so just because the room isn't full doesn't mean that it's not a success no but absolutely. you need to know what the what you're looking to get out of it yeah i mean that was the that was the famous story of the arctic monkeys wasn't it they they wanted to have a really busy buzzing show in manchester so they organized buses for all their mates to get on it from sheffield well that's it it's, again <laughs> if you are inviting people down to come and see you well then you want to make sure that it's going to be buzzing yeah <laughs> yeah talking about the person from the label like being there does do you think that still happens does, does it happen that they'll turn up randomly yeah no no so but look not to say that they won't go out but people it's quite easy to as a promoter i speak to lots of people with, who work within the industry if i know about a band who's creating some sort of buzz i'll talk to someone quite a few times about them whether it be an yeah. agent or or management or things like that and say i think you should check these out if someone's going to turn up randomly they're probably then going to go and watch that band a few times. I've I've not heard of any real cases where someone's just turned up and happened to have a record contract in their pocket. People talk about it as if it happens. Yeah. Like, like there's always this kind of, there seems to be this attitude with bands that if you're playing a venue or that, you know, there might be somebody from a label there. There's not to say there isn't ever going to be because people, they do go and watch other gigs, but yeah, a lot of the time but, they'll be invited along and there'll be a reason. And, yeah, yeah. And... You'll generally know. You'll generally know the people who it's going to be, or if you're working with people who have those connections. And I think that's the the key thing is that it's look. It's not to say it wouldn't ever happen because no. there may be a scenario that someone's playing and someone happens to be walking past, pop their head in, and go, "Yeah, actually, I like that. Can we can we see you again?" Yeah, and that would be yeah. the sort of thing. But um, I think it's yeah, it's just kind of treating every show the same way. At the end of the day, so it doesn't yeah. matter if there is one person in the room or, or it's sold out, is you want to put on your best performance. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So definitely. I, I, I just think it's, it is one of those situations where bands try to push it sometimes as well. They try and play some, play and get somewhere too quickly. Okay. At the end of the day, things will happen naturally. Yeah. But I've been asked to manage a lot of bands over the years. And one of the things I've always said is I like to work in an advisory basis rather than actually management mm -hmm. because I feel as though the bands themselves should learn how to do most of it themselves because they okay. won't know if they're being ripped off. That's a very yeah, good point. Sure. So, so it, it point. does then become that thing of if you're booking a gig, what's a good deal? What works? Mm. At the end of the day, what's a good deal is what works for you. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether you're going to get a million pounds or a hundred pounds. Mm. 
or even if you're going to get nothing, because if nothing is what's on offer but it leads to further opportunities, well, actually, that could have been a better deal than the one which paid double. Yep. So Definitely. it's looking, and I say it's researching and knowing where your own, your own journey is going to go. I guess that's more and more important nowadays, especially with... Now, there's always the argument it's always existed of record label versus doing it yourself but that's obviously becoming more and more prominent as home recordings it's, it's much easier yeah, it's much easier. yeah it's much more accessible is the point but um yeah more and more bands are doing their own accounts doing their own tour bookings and yeah. uh, and only using you know set promoters in set areas like yourself and but not going through an external label how have you found that dynamic change have you found yourself speaking to less management companies more artists directly um, i think again because of programming venues is that i get to speak to all different levels and yeah. i'll get i will get a band who are playing their very first gig and it'll be their mum and dad getting in touch and asking for the, for a show for their kids or I'll get international touring artists and their agent or management getting in touch and managing it that way. So it is something we still get all different levels. Um, the the more successful shows or the busiest shows tend to be those who have got a team behind them, but that's because they've got a press behind them. They've got a whole press package that you've got a team working on everything. Mm. But we've got bands who've, who've got that now who started here with as a local band. So you've got that thing of you can still progress through it but sometimes again you you get to the point of bands can do things to a level or anyone can do things to a certain level because they can't open the doors themselves mm -hmm. and that to me is where if you got to the point as a band and you've been knocking on the door knocking on the door and you're not getting any answer mm. well sometimes that person coming in is the one who can unlock that door for you to get through however i think sometimes bands think I should have a booking agent, but the agent's sitting there going, okay, well, I'm going to come to your sold-out headline hometown show. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean sold-out show? Well, it's like, if you can't sell out your hometown, how are you going to sell out the rest of the country? Absolutely. Okay, we'll work on getting you to that point, but there has to be some sort of a buzz or ability-wise, you have to really stand out. And that's the yeah. thing is it's either you have to be very, very special and very good or you need to be creating enough of a buzz that if you drop that that stone in another pond, actually the other people are going to perhaps jump on board with it. Yeah. So, so what are those things that a band can do to create said buzz and to sell out their like their their hometown show? There's lots of good behaviours. There's no there's no perfect way of doing it because every situation is different. But one of the key things and one of the things it's one of probably one of the most common mistakes that you see and this isn't just locally to hear is that bands are overplaying overplaying in the same area whilst they're building and developing a fan base at the end of the day you, you start with X number of people your friends and family are going to come to your first gigs your first gigs are probably going to be some of your busiest because people want to go and support you but the numbers will start to drop so bands then think what we're going to do is we're going to play more because we'll get to play to more people and then more will come along. And actually the opposite happens because you're starting to then spread that existing fan base thinner. Mm. So they then start picking and choosing which gigs they're going to come to rather than everyone just going to the same one. Yep. And in those early stages, whilst you're learning your stagecraft, you should also still be writing and writing and writing because those songs that you wrote initially aren't necessarily going to be 
the best that you're going to ever write. They may need developing. Yeah. Well, and I suppose without new songs, there's no reason for the people that saw your first or second gig to come to your seventh or eighth. Yeah, and, and also you, you use the time when you're not on the stage in front of an audience to perfect that stage show. To me, so you, you might have 30 minutes of material, which is, is, is good, but you might look like you don't belong on the stage. So you use yeah. that time when you're off stage to, to record it, to watch it back and think, do we look like a band or do we look like we've just strolled in from work or, or whatever it may be? And it's kind of that thing of using that time to really develop it and, and grow it and also use your home audience to work out your set because you might play a set and the order's completely all over the place, change the order around and actually it all clicks and the audience will go with that journey and then they'll go away telling people how great you are. Mm. It's interesting to hear that perspective. And we've chatted a bit about in the podcast, especially the overplaying, but it's nice to have someone with a bit of authority saying that <laughs> rather <laughs> no, than just us. Cause look, the end days that your, your favorite bands will play every single night, but that's because there's an audience who wants to see you every single night. Yeah. And that's yeah. ultimately it is that mm. no one's trying to restrict what you do. To me as a promoter, I'd love to put a band on and sell out five nights in a row hit, yeah. at, at one of our venues. However, I also want to see them sell out one night. If they don't ever sell out, it's not a problem. No. It's about getting the, getting the right measure of it. But if, you're, if the audience numbers aren't hitting where they could be, we look at all factors of why that's happened. And that's the same as what I do when I'm booking a band on a tour or various things, is that why didn't that show work as well as it could? What could we have done better? Mm -hmm. And if it's the thing of, well, actually, we didn't stick anything up on Facebook because we don't think anyone uses Facebook as much anymore. Well, it's like, well, actually, it's still the biggest platform. Yeah. It's like, still use it. Yeah. But use Instagram, use TikTok, use everything because don't have something sitting there going, yeah, well, we didn't do that, so it didn't work because that might actually be where your audience is looking for you. It's funny. Where do you stand on? Because a lot of people that I've worked with and, and come across have this because obviously being in a band's the pinnacle of being cool especially when you're younger when you get a bit older if you're not doing particularly well it, it doesn't look as good but um when you when you're young it, it's everything and you want to have that attitude of i don't care and be free a lot of the time and so a lot of people will avoid doing that or going out of their way to try and overbook a show because they yep. just think they're they're not above it but they're almost trying to be above it um so how, how, what's your approach to that attitude and especially I, I guess the the end question that i'm getting to is if a band you've booked are clearly putting no effort into promoting the show and the tickets are selling what what is your approach the tickets aren't selling or they mm. are selling if they're not if they're not selling and they're Ultim doing ultimately every it. show we do is looking at what the next show is going to be okay so if you've got a band at a local level a local unsigned level mm -hmm. and they're putting no effort into promoting themselves or promoting the whole show to me it's i'm not gonna say i'm not going to offer them another show because it might be that there was a reason behind it yep um i might not be happy with the reason but we're here to help develop and grow the artist the venues this size aren't Wembley Stadium so therefore mm -hmm. there's still room for an artist to grow if it continually happens well my viewpoint is well actually our venue or this town or city or region doesn't work for you so therefore there's no point in booking any more shows for you no and if they go well actually it's good for as a rehearsal space okay then hire it as a rehearsal space yeah, pay us <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. As, 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 the thing is is that it costs venues to be open uh, and venues are closing 
venues are closing at the fastest rate that they've ever done since uh, because of the energy crisis and financial crisis that there is. I think on average about two venues are closing a week since Christmas. Wow. wow. So, and that is because of basically the model's broken. And it's, it's not down to bands to fix that. It's down to the top level of the industry to try and support the grassroots sort of network. But by not promoting a show, and this goes to promoters and venues and as well as the artists, and expecting it to be full in a time when people are struggling financially, the venues won't be there. If you don't do it, they won't survive. Yeah, so, so bands have to do their bit as well. Everyone has to. It's literally, it's like, I wouldn't expect a band to promote themselves playing here if we're not doing something to tell people about them. Every single show that we have at the Horn goes out to a mailing list of about 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. All the shows go out on social media. So uh, it's listed on a website that gets about 75,000 clicks a quarter. Mm-hmm. So things are out there. You might think, oh, could the venue do more? But as I mentioned before, if we're promoting someone who's getting radio play on Six Music mm-hmm. or Radio One, mm-hmm. Joe Bloggs walking down the street probably chooses that band. And that's yeah. not down to us doing anything extra for them. It's just right. literally there's something eye-catching. So think about your own promotion. Well, absolutely. And, and this, you're being <coughs> very fair. And this, at the end of the day, is a business for you. And it's got to generate a profit. Yeah, it's, um, I say, that somewhere like the Horn and a lot of venues, the, the bar and the music are completely separate entities. Yeah. So whilst they kind of go hand in hand, the bar and the, 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 the wet sales and the food sales pay for the electricity. They pay the business rates. They pay the insurances. They pay all of that. The way the events will work in somewhere like this is it will pay for the sound engineer, the event staff, um, promotional costs, PRS. All of these things is that they will get covered by the ticket sales. And then, of course, the artist's sort of uh, payments on top of that. Yep. The promoter ends up being the last one paid. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also takes the financial risk of putting on a show. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, it is something of, like I said before as well, it's not about the money at grassroots. Mm, I will no. have shows which make quite a bit of money, tend to be in larger venues and, and things like that. But then a lot of that can, can offset some of the newer stuff. Mm-hmm. So to do that, because without the new artists coming through, we don't have those bigger shows in five years, 10 years, 20 years time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that to me is about the future of the music coming through is that we invest into that and that's where your ticket masters and live nations should perhaps be looking at how they can put a levy on perhaps the tickets to the larger shows to support the grassroots uh, network yeah no definitely because because this is something that we've spoken about quite a lot specifically about the horn because obviously this is where i did my first gigs yep. and i've done lots of gigs since the fact that the horn and you put on lots of bands that have never played before. Like when I first played here, I must have been like 14 or something and had never done a gig in my life other than like in like a school hall. Yeah. It, that sort of answers a question, the idea that when you're doing that, it's you're kind of future-proofing the venue because yeah. those are the people that come back. You talk about the, the kind of the bigger industry needing to do more for the grassroots. What, what is it that they can actually do is it just throwing money at it or is there more I of a, it, is it a culture thing money i, I think mean. financially is the thing is if you take let's say for argument's sake a a, a big gig at wembley stadium mm. let's say an average ticket costs 100 pounds and you was to say of that 
at, say, a booking fee on that's going to be in the region of 10 to 15 pounds. Mm. If of that 10 to 15 pounds for every ticket sold, they were to put 50p into a levy that goes to grassroots music, mm. <laughs> if you think 90,000 tickets sold, and just yeah. 50p from every single ticket goes yeah. towards supporting I think I would say yeah. at least half of the venues that have closed one concert would have would have saved them would have saved so them. but but with that money how is it that the grassroots venues use that to, well, to I think get to um, music venue trust released their first annual report uh, about a month ago so it was launched at the houses of parliament and obviously there could have been lots of shouting at the MPs and there was a little bit <laughs> but the MPs can't do a great deal because the country's broke. So go okay. What we're going to do is put taxes up so that you can pay for, for basically to cover the energy crisis. Well, that's not going to work, and they're not at this point in time. That's not going to be feasible, especially as we're getting close to a general election in the next mm. couple of years. They're not going to do something it's that's going to be that happen. Yeah. But um, one of the things that came out in the report is that the grassroots music industry's. Uh, is worth about 500 million pounds. Wow. It costs the grassroots music industry 499 million pounds to run. Mm -hmm. That 500 million pounds is generated by 900 venues. Yeah. 1 million pounds profit. This was pre-energy crisis, these figures. And that split across every independent grassroots venue is just 1 million pounds profit. 1 million pound profit before the energy crisis. There you go. It is now part the grassroots sector is past the point of being at the cliff edge it's actually falling down the cliff so is, is it is it losing money now it is overall yeah generally i say yeah. somewhere like the horn is probably okay but it's uh, not it's not in a healthy healthy position but it's no. probably one of the most healthy no well and, and the horn geographically is in as kind of good a position as you can get you know you're in a you're in a commuter town right next to the station in a relatively affluent area people yep. kind of most of the people in St Albans work in London and, you know, and probably have the, you know, the five to ten pounds to spare on a gig ticket. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's so, yeah. So somewhere like St Albans is, is OK. It's also not got lots of venues. No. So therefore, it's not something you're sitting there going, OK, well, there, there's somewhere else we can go. One of the things which if a venue goes, it's very, very difficult to get a, a new one in its place. Yeah, well, because because we've spoken to Casper at the Fighting Cox and Alex at the Pioneer, and it's it's always come up that these three venues, all in St Albans, very very different. Yeah, fundamentally, they have huge huge differences. So I do think the Horn sits in a place where it you know it offers something that the other venues around here don't. Uh, are, are the other venues you, you kind of run and work at, do they sit in a similar space or are there um, more challenges or less? The half In terms of locations, they're all kind of half an hour, 45 minutes from London. So all very mm. similar in terms of their, their commuter towns or cities. Yeah. Uh, the, the Corn Exchange is a larger space, but it's a venue venue, whereas the Horn and the Half Moon are more sort of what we call pub venues. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I wanted to, to sort of take a different direction. Going back to um, sort of your personal um, development, you, you you had you you went full time. I'm presuming with with the promotion side of things and, and the consultancy side of things. Obviously, 
you're connecting and networking with a huge amount of people all the time and you spoke about higher up people in the industry what kept you sticking with promotion at grassroots level um when i'm sure a lot of other things were available to to sort of go on um, to larger things control okay i think because it's something that we set up as a ourselves and built in this area it was very much a thing of actually we've always been able to do what we want to do and to put on what we want and we're not trying to follow any any sort of plan of okay. this is what the business wants and also the risk of going actually i'm putting on these shows and then your your senior person comes in and goes actually they've got bigger i'm going to take them on mm. if i was 20 years younger then perhaps it'd be something of building a career to go that way but as i say at the start it wasn't looking as a career it was looking as a as a hobby which has ended up becoming a job yeah so for me that was kind of one of the things and then it's that fear of moving on because it's it's that whole thing of it ain't broke that when i came to the horn the horn was the only venue that the the owners of the business had and it's i say it was not gonna say it's doing okay because i wouldn't have got the job <laughs> to the end days that someone doesn't lose their job and someone else doesn't come in if if um everything's been booked unless they've moved on somewhere else and i got asked to come in and try and improve what was happening um and then eventually they took on another venue and another venue so that's also kept me me challenged mm -hmm. because it's it's meant that rather than having to program one venue i've ended up in a position of looking after three diaries expanding the team but also being able to develop other things and I'm working in a sort of a sector that that is kind of it's not forgotten but actually a lot happens through it and a lot of the good things in the industry come through this sort of thing yep I just think it's uh it's kind of you're always kept on your toes do you also take uh, like a, a deal of pride or a feeling of pride when a band that you've put on on a small night venue that maybe didn't do so well but was good enough or you could see they were they had the right attitude mentality they were good enough do you take pride in them going on and succeeding oh, and I seeing love where seeing they end up? I love seeing not just bands but mm. people have worked it and th that was something that seeing bands and when you're starting to probably think oh I'm going to get that band I'm going to find the next Arctic Monkeys well if you do great but yeah. it's the thing <laughs> everyone's going to try and find that but that's that's kind of what you're doing you're trying to discover artists i've had people come through the team who've started working on the box office or flyers or things like that who've gone on to work, get full-time jobs working in the industry mm. who didn't know those jobs existed until they started working in a venue network they found those positions because of talking to people in venues talking to artists who are coming in artist managers tour managers whatever it may be they suddenly found out there's this whole world behind mm. the scenes and it's become a thing of actually how can i get into that and and it's one of those for me i'll be like well come to an event come to something like the great escape or or other conferences and go and sit on a panel or listen to a panel where they're talking about these things because you'll hear and learn about mm. other areas of the industry yeah, definitely. That's a great one. I think The Great Escape in general has helped a lot of people. Um, I've been lucky enough to play it, but I uh, didn't get anything from it. <laughs> um, but no, it's fantastic. So yeah, I guess yeah, take that, for example. We're, we're leading on into the consultancy side of things. Do you get asked to go on panels quite a lot? I have do done, yeah. Do you um, enjoy that? I don't mind it. I, mm. I'd, normally you get a free ticket to the event, so that's oh, kind brilliant. of... brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I do. No, um, no I, I, 
that is a, that is obviously a perk. But, but no, I, I like going to those because whilst you always think you know everything, mm. it's always good to hear another opinion and uh, whether you agree with it or not. But it is sometimes you'll just, but you'll also reaffirm whether you think or what you think is actually the general consensus. Okay. If you sit there and go, no one's going to any gigs. And then you go to an event and everyone says that the figures are up of attendances where you go, hang on, something's going wrong. Or you could hear about something that's being developed that could be really useful, like to help you to grow things. But as much of anything, it's networking. And this industry is so much built around networking. Mm-hmm. So we've done a lot of talking about networking because I think I, I think it's something that both of us are relatively good at. I think we're quite chatty. <laughs> yeah, chatting confident enough to go into situations, but not everybody is. And we've always talked about, you know, that music venues are and small music venues are often the best places to network mm. because because they're full of people who are who actually care about music because, like-minded because they've people. gone to, yeah, like-minded people who care who actually care about music because they've gone to a local venue rather than going to Wembley. Yeah. So they have an insight into it. But when people walk into the when people walk into the room, what's the if you were to kind of advise somebody on the approach to take to network in in a venue like this? What, what's the angle? Because we've definitely said things in the past, but I, 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 I wonder what your it depends on. Again, if you're coming in as an artist trying to network, I think one of the things, actually, even even someone who's looking to get in their foot into the industry, well, the first person you're going to see going into the venue is either the box office staff or security. Um, and so the thing is, is that you speak to the box office staff, ask to speak to the promoter or the show rep, literally ask to speak to someone as you come in and just introduce yourself. It's literally the things, if you're an artist and you want to know who the promoter is, because you might want to get a gig there, mm. putting a name to the face is such a great thing to have because yeah. straight away they, the promoter knows that you care enough about their night that you've gone to it. So therefore, mm-hmm. you can straight away go, they know that you've not necessarily even got a local link, but you know where how to get to the venue, which a lot yeah. of bands might book a show and not even know how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, straight away, that'd be a thing going, well, they know where it is. They know what sort of type venue it is. If you're looking to work in the industry, yeah, it's kind of say hello. It's a brainer, yeah. But also, I think bear in mind that those people are probably working. So try not yeah. to chat too much to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're in a band and you've played a night, offered to buy the sound engineer a beer because they've probably seen more bands on the stage in that venue than anyone else. So spend that time listening to them because they may give you one bit of advice over that drink that you could could find really useful in every single show you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting one because so I think that's, I'm sure you'll agree and can elaborate on it, but that's something I see time and time and time again is bands being dickheads to sound engineers from the moment they step in the room. It's the sound engineer in a grassroots venue knows that room better than anyone else. Um, so if you take your own engineer in, well, they're probably going to spend half the time asking that, that in-house engineer, <laughs> hang on, why is that click coming out of there? What's that noise? It's because every single grassroots venue seems to have its own little quirky things about it that only the in-house team are probably going to know. Yeah. But most engineers don't want you to sound shit. Mm. They they kind of it's their job on them yeah yeah so it's like oh every time that sound engineer works all the bands sound shit yeah. well, we're not going to offer them any more shifts so it's kind of a thing of they're going to well you could say you can't polish a turd but give them every every tool that you can so 
write a set list. If there's four of you in the band, write five. Give one to the engineer and give them little sort of pointers. Sit there and say that this song I'm going to be using an acoustic guitar, or I want more reverb, or I want this. Write your names on it. Mm. I, th- I think far too many people, um, the sound engineer is almost part of the band. I've always had that kind of... That oh, your best friend on the night. That headspace, because because they're doing the sound and yeah. you're playing music. music. <laughs> that was, so, in, in small venues, they're probably doing the lights as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're also doing the visual, they're actually... <laughs> Learn the name. Like I was saying, if they're the, your best friend on the night, you tend to know your best friend's name. So <laughs> if you're sitting there and you need a little bit more in your app, in your, in your monitor, don't go, oi, turn me up. It's literally, it's like, actually, hi, John. Could, uh, is it right if I have a little bit more guitar in in my monitor, please? Yeah. Straight away, he'll do it. Yeah, of course he will. He'll probably do it when you say oi, but it, it probably won't be his response. He'll be like, yep, done. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the care. It's the care and the respect. Because you do lots of sound engineering. With Yeah, I do. I don't, and again, my sound engineering is different. That's venue to venue to venue to venue all the mm-hmm. time. It's very rarely in the same place. Sometimes it is, and that's nice. But no, I, I, the spaces I know, I'm, I'm just guessing, really. Um, but no. on the in-house team to, to point you in the right direction. Direction. absolutely absolutely and uh, that's really important in weird shaped rooms as well um but yeah no f- to learn a space it is really difficult and i'm sure a lot of people that have even rehearsed as a band before mm. understand the difficulties of why does it sound so horrible in my room and yes it is important to turn your guitar amp down sometimes it's the <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I, I know that it can go up to 11 <laughs> but, but to be honest especially when it's all coming through a front of house yeah, I I would say that, and obviously I'd never name any names, but I have stood with some of our engineers, and they've shown me the desk, and it's all muted. Yeah, apart <laughs> really? from vocal mics, yeah. that's like literally would yeah. because it's so loud on stage. He goes, if we put anything through, it's just going to feedback. Yep. Obviously, you've done this for how many years? Have you done the promotion stuff now? Juicebox has been running for almost sixteen. So a lot's changed in the industry over that time what yeah, are the I had long of- hair when it started <laughs> yeah, the, the biggest change in the whole industry um, what are some of the major changes that you've kind of really felt from from your perspective on it um, I think social media has always been a has been a part of it uh, but that's grown massively since I first started so I think as I touched on MySpace was the probably the only platform that we used at the start and it, there was still a lot of the old school way of promoting gigs of flyering and doing a lot of the on the on the sort of street side of it and word of mouth and and various things but social media has been such a big thing it's been a it's been a blessing but it's also been a hindrance because i think there's been so much reliance on it people have gone oh we'll just put a facebook event up and everyone will turn up and it's like well that's not kind of how it works mm. uh so this i say that's been something that's been there Obviously, less on my side of it, things like the streaming side of things has obviously developed massively in the time that we've been been doing it. Do you think that's affected the live music scene? Um, probably for an unsigned band. And keep using the term unsigned because it's quite popular at the moment with, with Chris Moores' comments uh, about that they're not great, which is obviously complete crap like his radio show. Um, <laughs> but I think it's something of it's easier to discover a band or find out what's happening about a band 
before you even go into a venue. Mm-hmm. Not to say that 15, 20 years ago that people just turned up and walked into a gig and paid to go into a gig. It didn't happen. No. Um, there's enough pictures of the Beatles playing in places with 15 people. People don't just turn up to watch bands. They didn't before. You may get the odd person here or there. But now you can sit in the other in the bar area of the horn, go on your phone, look up what that band is about, go on their Instagram, their Facebook, whatever it is, and see exactly what sort of band you're going to see before you pay and go in. Mm-hmm. So things like streaming, you can listen to that band. So if you're going to stick everything you've ever recorded up on your Spotify account, is that going to be the best indication of what people are going to find about you? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's the whole thing of holding it back. Yeah. So for for bands and stuff, do you think it can be really it can be really utilised still the social media? Oh, 100%. The streaming. Yeah, I stuff. think I think you should. Um, your social media is such a key thing. Is that if you want to sit there and it be jokey and it be something that you're, you're taking the piss half the time, if that's what you are as a band, fine. If that's what works. If you don't want people to know about anything you're doing, mm-hmm. then don't use it. And they don't tell anyone about anything. Don't ever release any music because you're just going to pay money to get things mastered and recorded that no one's ever going to pay for. No. Yeah. And and that's everything relates and everything interconnects. Your live shows are there to help promote what your releases and Absolutely. sales of merch and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you're putting that all together. And if you don't want anyone to know about it. Oh, don't, don't, don't waste your own time. At the end of the day, don't waste your own money. Yeah. Um, as I say, but if you've got enough pride that you've wanted to put it down and record it and have it as a timestamp of that period of time in your life and you want people to know about it, well, think actually how much am I going to spend to tell people about it as well? Because that comes from your marketing. Mm. So that's where you're getting a PR company to promote what you're doing and, and various things like that. And that's the same with your shows is that if you want to blame someone for it being empty, feel free to blame them. But it falls on everyone. And that's what I said before, is it's all of us working together to make it a success. Yeah, no, definitely. In terms of that marketing, what what do you think really works at the moment? Um, I think it's being uh, interactive still. There's nothing changed in terms of socials and things like that. It's being interactive, but not being boring. <laughs> not being every post like we've got a gig we've got a gig we've got a gig we're trying to sell you something is actually creating content that people want to see but it's got to be natural it's got to be what you do <laughs> if it's something you're trying it's trying to be too too forced it'll come it'll be too obvious that it is yeah well we, we've spoken a lot to actually i think every single guest so far the word authenticity's come up and just the importance of if like if you try and copy somebody else and copy the way yeah. somebody else is doing it you've already lost um, the idea of I all means steal strategies of promotion sure. and marketing tools and oh that's a good idea that would suit me yeah try, well, the thing is trial and error yeah. is, the, is the thing is that what works for you won't necessarily work for someone else and vice versa so to me it is the thing if you go out and you try to do everything and you don't have to try it all, to do it all in one go but if you sit there and go actually we, we're doing this show and obviously my side being a live promoter and you sit there and go we did this and we sold 100 tickets to a gig in our hometown how did we do that what did we do well we'll do that again mm. okay next gig we did and it dropped away yeah well actually well we didn't do that as much so you're finding what actually works but i think the key thing is not 
not dismissing anything because mm. it may well be that that is your audience's thing yeah. because you're not doing it to promote to you. And I'd hear so many, especially younger bands saying, we don't use Facebook. We don't use Facebook. It's, like, it's a free platform. Yeah, but our mates don't use it. So your mates are the people you're targeting the music to. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if that's it, then fine. You don't, you don't need an Instagram. You don't need any social media platform because you've got all your mates' contact details already. Because I encountered a site called uh, Zuhu the other day, which is basically, it's basically a one-stop shop for social media. You put, you link your Instagram, your Facebook, your TikTok, like everything. You mm-hmm. put it all on there. You do one post and it goes, it goes on everything. So there isn't really an excuse. No, well, even on, even on Facebook and um, on the metaverse, you yeah, can you, schedule. You do, you do Facebook and Instagram and it all just, and all that. And I think, I do think people really miss that. I get why people miss it. I do understand why people miss it because if it's not a if it's not a space that you know and like I was chatting to my sister earlier, she's only a few years younger. She's about four years younger. Her and none of her friends have Facebook. Yeah. Oh like, no. Um, like none of them. To be honest, I I'm not great with Instagram myself mm. personally because I hate taking pictures and sharing it and then writing something. <laughs> it's, it's just not what I do. Yeah. yeah. I'll sit, but. I've kind of, as a, as a promoter, I've learned how to start utilising it a lot more. And obviously I had members of the team who used to do it a lot more than I did. But again, I'm not going to go, okay, well, we're getting, we're getting everyone who's over 50, but we're not getting anyone under the age of 30. Yeah. And it's kind of thing, why is that? Look, I see the figures of, of click-throughs and things like that. The, the click-throughs on Instagram are terrible in terms of going on to buy tickets. People probably know about it, but the actual thing of seeing it, buying a ticket is very, very low comparatively. However, it's got to be done. At the end, I'd rather make sure that everyone sees about it. Also, I'll make sure I tag in the bands because yeah. then they see that I'm doing it as well. And, yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. and the same as a band is make sure you tag the venue and the promoter because again, they can't sit there and go, well, you've not done anything. Yeah. For me, again, it's not a blame game. No. You're not sitting there blaming, going, you didn't do this, so that's why it's not worked. We all sit there and go, okay, a Saturday night doesn't work for your fans. Yeah. Quite common. That is, surprisingly, weekends aren't actually the best night for unsigned band nights. Okay. Oh, really? Is that because people like to go bigger on a Saturday night? Yeah, sort pretty of thing? much. Yeah. So if, you, if I was to say to you, what do you fancy doing? Go and watch my new band or having a night out in town. Yeah. People, a lot of people yeah, who aren't really into it. Yeah, I'm go probably going to go. Actually, we're all going to go out to a club, or we're going to do this one. Do yeah, Whereas if it's like, oh, we're playing on Wednesday night. What are you doing? Actually, I haven't really got anything planned. Yeah, it, yeah, it's quite a nice novelty. It's something different in your week. But but yeah. but it. Look, that's not to say every single band, but we get so many bands say, oh, it'll work so much better on a weekend, and then when it comes to it, the attendances drop. I've definitely experienced that. I've from, experienced from, that from a gigging perspective. I haven't thought about it like that ever. And, 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 and look, it's, but it makes perfect sense. Friends have got better things to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah basically, reality. I think it's the hard truth, isn't it? It is the reality. How do you think the live music scene sort of recovers from all these venues closing and stuff? Like, like, I mean, does it recover? The, or, or well, if they keep closing, it doesn't. Um, because Then it, everything becomes... Well, actually, I'd, I'd hate to think where, where it'd go because we won't have headliners for festivals in 20 years' time because, well... Everything which we would have would be very, very, let's say, X Factor. Yeah. This is something that I've often thought about, that the the live music scene 
in many ways it feels like it's been replaced by not replaced but I'll use the term replaced by this sort of this reality TV. The fact that you can basically go to a concert and see loads and loads and loads and loads of different bands in your sitting room. Yeah, I think um, look, live music scene's still out there. It's still really strong. There's still lots of incredible bands coming through. Um, look, you go to things like The Great Escape. You see, mm. you've got three days, four days of live music in every single pub, Constantly, nook and cranny yeah. <laughs> in in Brighton. And mm. the thing is, is that there's so much out there. Look, not everything's going to make it, or very few of them are going to make it to, to even being sort of household names in any way. But in recent years, you've got the acts like you've got acts like Fontaine's DC or Idols or Self Esteem, um, who've kind of come through, or, or Yard Act, and those sort of acts who are starting in places like this, mm. and they are going out and doing it. Will it, it go completely? It won't, because there will always be someone who would take a risk smaller places like St Albans and stuff like that are we the ones which you'll lose first and you won't get back because the money will be in the cities at the moment it's tough for artists to tour because of the financial impact of doing it so therefore it will become more obvious to go let's do London, Manchester Birmingham, Liverpool wherever it may be all the big cities because you can do six to ten dates on a UK tour and if you're doing London and and we want to go and see a band in London, we'll travel from St Albans to go into London. Yeah. Whereas before it might be, actually, we're not going to do any of the major cities, but we're going to do St Albans, Bedford, Milton Keynes, Northampton, yeah. and then know that when they then do London, they can play a bigger venue because those people will travel. Mm. So what it's going to be is there'll be, it'll be interesting to see how artists can grow from 200 tickets to 500 tickets because that would be that's where your smaller venues and your tertiary sort of market kind of exists yeah but because that's the concern because individuals kids will keep learning to play guitar they'll keep learning to play drums they'll keep learning to sing. It'll, it'll, go, course, it'll go through it'll go through waves like yeah. everything does in popularity and if covid stopped at a lot of that for us that was actually a thing of two years of not being able to do gigs yeah, meant you, that we lost bands because the ones who'd been doing it for years and years and kind of just playing and it's almost that routine of not stopping suddenly did stop and went why am I doing that we've been doing this for 15 years and just playing in the same size things it's actually it's time to call it a day whereas you've always had that to a point but because suddenly we had no new bands forming it was definitely a thing of because people couldn't actually go and interact and they couldn't sit in a rehearsal space Mm. well they shouldn't have been sitting in a rehearsal (laughs) space but suddenly we didn't have those bands we're starting to get a new batch of bands coming through but there is a gap there was a gap I think maybe one of the things and this might be something we notice maybe in the next year or two is that there's some artists who actually missed out playing this sort of size venue because of Covid oh, that right. they prior to Covid they were about to go and do it and then perhaps during during the whole sort of lockdown period they end up missing out a stage of their career a social media blew up something like that yeah and then they end up going okay you're playing 500 to 1000 capacity venues straight away and it's like actually we've never even really learned our stagecraft <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and that's the thing is that when they get up there they'll they might look lost and it might actually be something that we might start seeing that with some artists you go are oh, they look like they're going to be on to really big things it's like actually no yeah you, you, because they can't gig but they then can. the whole thing of venues like this is that most bands have probably done five ten years worth of graft 
before things start to happen anyway. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if you everything becomes very manufactured almost. Yeah. Or actually, you're just sticking someone out on stage and. Um, I like I like seeing guitar music and bands and rather than perhaps a singer songwriter element to it, I think sometimes there's some there's some incredible artists out there. Um, but I did definitely see some of the things recently, like I'd say like the Brits that there's some great artists, but then there was a bit of a it all very sound very similar, just with a different voice. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, it's the same songwriting team. Yeah. <laughs> And there's definitely things going, okay, so things have gone that way. But I think, as was said, you won't find any of the artists playing in venues like this winning a Brit in the next two years. No. You will in the next five years. In five years' time, the winners of the Brits will have been playing venues like this. Mm. Yeah, because that's... Some people definitely talk about it as if there's us and them. Like, you know, there's the big record labels, the big songwriting teams... And then there's the people who aren't in that, who are doing it themselves. And th- there's definitely an attitude of us and them. I'd, I'd say I'd like to think there's not, although obviously some of the things I said, it kind of has been that. But it is a thing of, look, it's a, it is a whole network and there's whole steps to it. But I do think that, and again, I think one of the the positives that came out of COVID was the recognise um, or realisation that grassroots music, whether it be venues or promoters, is actually essential to what happens because mm. without it actually a lot of the community spirit and what's about will go and and bands or artists finding their feet it is such a thing of without these places and without the people doing it at grassroots it becomes very very uniform yeah that's that's the way I think I think I think I picture it in a similar way where it's all like you say the word manufactured um, and, and, and not to not to sort of point a finger at like a, an academy venue a lot of them can feel identikit mm. you can walk in and it's backstage and it's all very sort of clinical mm. whereas you come into a lot of these places and say they've got their quirks every single one's different every single one's got a story to tell yeah and the artists remember the room mm. whereas if you walk into some of these bigger spaces that they're actually they'll kind of look the same yeah well, they're designed that way, aren't they? They're designed to be efficient with yeah. loading loads out, getting rid of people at the end of the night. And, and but that's the kind of thing going. Well, that's not what we are as no. yeah. as people. We're not like that. And mm. to identify, and, we want to play the hundred club because it's individual and quirky, rather than it's like where we're sitting now. You go, what artists have played on this stage? And it's that thing of um, like tonight we'll have a couple of young local bands playing. Like one of them playing their first ever show, uh, and it'll be. We're sharing a stage with some, perhaps some of their heroes. Yeah, they're like, oh, and the Shikari played here, or mm. Subways, or. But it, it, again, it's not the the music that's on this stage isn't all for me, despite being the person who books it and saying when I started Juicebox, it was to go to something that me and my mates wanted to go to. Yeah, but once you're booking three hundred odd shows a year, sadly you can't book everything just for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unfortunately, some people don't have great music taste, so they have to listen to something different. No, uh, but it is the thing of when you could get something that you enjoy and you've got a room full of people who enjoy it as well, then that's amazing. Mm. If if it's, but I take as much pleasure in seeing people walking out the room with a smile on the face at the end of the night, having watched a great gig, whatever the genre is. To me, is that it's creating memories. Mm. People will have will remember the night that they were here or watching something or watching an artist in a room 
for the rest of their lives and mm -hmm. that to me is something that that's again another thing you get out of doing this that you never thought was part and parcel of it you're creating people's memories you're making life uh, people's lives better yeah yeah and, and i think it's i imagine that's very resonant when you came into it as a consumer rather than coming into it as like a businessman yeah like like your motivation wasn't coming in to make a load of money it was no. coming in to put on nights as a consumer yeah oh totally it's think what would i want to and yeah. and it, that means anything that i've done is sort of what what can i do to make a difference so don't sit there and say oh this isn't happening that's not happening we'll <laughs> do something about it what, um, what's the hard bit though like that that the really hard bit of the job of a promoter um sometimes having thick skin it's um like, again like i said at the beginning about the birthday party analogy once you get past the point of realizing it isn't that everyone hates you <laughs> maybe they do but if it's sometimes the show just doesn't work yeah. and it's literally that's where it becomes that business sort of side of it you sit there and go but that band was incredible and to be honest in a couple of years time that when they're winning a brit award and you're sitting there going i told you they were incredible <laughs> the fact of it is is that you sit there and go look you don't take it personally yeah you have to sort of develop it you also know that you will get parents shouting at you if they're, there's a battle of the bands and their kid didn't win you sit there oh, and yeah. go it's not it isn't something they're not taking an aim at you and no in the same way as in society, you don't get on with every single person you meet. You're not going to like or get on with every single person in a in a band, and they're not going to get on like you. But you, you have to work together. You mm. do the best you can. If you, if it isn't something you can work on, then you just don't work together. No. Yeah, I suppose it's a lot of people management. No. Yeah. Yeah, and, and egos. <laughs> a lot of egos, um, and there's also can be alcohol involved. So. Yeah. So that can it can make it more fiery than any other any other industry. Yeah. What's the worst bit about being a promoter? The musicians. <laughs> <laughs> musicians no, no, I'm joking. No. I'm joking. Uh, the audience. It's it's funny. I think I no. There's um. Look, it, it's something of no. Of course. You just got it's. There's lots of things, but for me, one of the things that I've learned over the years um, is communication is key. Yeah. And that's in all aspects of things. In as a as a promoter to the artist, you give every bit of information you have to the artist straight away. Mm. Then that you don't tend to get that much coming back to you, and unless they haven't read it, and then it goes, "Not my fault." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's obviously like you said, it's not about passing blame, but it's about holding people, holding people to the information they've been given. And, and I'm yeah, it, it, but it's also making it easy. It's not making it complicated. Putting everything mm. there. Things like for local band nights, we use Facebook messages as an advancing chat because straight away you can see who's read it. You can put everyone in there. You can make sure. Obviously, it's becoming more difficult because when you've got sixteen-year-olds who don't use Facebook, Facebook. Don't use Facebook, it's like oh, yeah, nightmare. It's like how do we communicate? Well, we'll send yeah. an email. I don't answer my emails. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is a you problem. <laughs> can't you set up a WhatsApp? No, because I can't put other people's mobile yeah, yeah. numbers on. But it's lots of things. It's look. It's communication is such a key thing. That's always the thing and. And even when it comes to customers or the audience coming in, it's like our team, everyone who's working on the team should be up to speed with how everything works. So if someone's got a question, if they don't have the answer, they know who to turn to. And that's such a thing is it's about the audience experience is the key thing because so I want it to be people enjoy it and want to come back and they'll want to, in, they'll look out for what else we've got coming up. We're not going to try and force an artist onto them. 
because all that will happen is they'll turn up and they don't enjoy it, then they won't have any trust in what you do anyway. No, and then they won't come back. Whereas you put it out there and say, this is what's happening, come along, and then, yeah, I'm interested how many times I put something out and say, you really need to go and see this act, how many people do actually then pay any attention to it. Yeah, because 16 years ago when you started, if you were able to have a conversation with that person, would there be like one bit of advice that you wish you'd had from day one? Don't do it, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, enjoy it. Enjoy everything you do. Uh, Don't have regrets about, let's say, decisions and things you do Mm. where, you know, actually you shouldn't have booked that band because it was going to lose this much money, you shouldn't have done that. Well, actually, some of those shows are still brilliant. They were still great shows, and I think to me it was... um, no, it's it's the personal life side of it comes a bit weird because your your social life is your work is life. your work a lot of the yeah. time, and so you end up your whole your body clock and everything changes. <laughs> but no, I, I haven't got any regrets with what I've done with it really because it's it's not a nine to five job. I've I've worked in a bank. I've I've done that. Yeah. I've worked in offices, so I've I've seen that side of things. And to be honest, as much as it is a job. Every time I still see my my old schoolmates or people I grew up with, they still don't think I have a job. They still think right. I just go to watch gigs <laughs> for a living. Watch, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And it's like, yeah, if that's what you want to think. That's fine. And they'll be like, <laughs> are you off to America next week? Yeah, I'm going to a conference. Oh, what, a conference where you've got to watch bands? And, so, yes. <laughs> and, and what else do you do? Well, we get given free barbecue and, and, and beer. And it's like, it's like there's, lots of, look, there's lots of perks, but it's there's, yeah, when you're out till three four o'clock in the morning and then having to get up at seven six or seven the following day all of that was kind of well it all hopefully paid off to an extent well i i I think harking back to what you were saying earlier it definitely makes a difference to people made a difference to me at that age i know friends of mine who you know it it's the venue that we've a hundred percent spoken about most on this podcast and you're not even from here i just go on about it because it offers so many opportunities to people um, in Please a way yeah well no it does though because it's the it's the go-to place that people know they can get in contact with and they will get a gig and they will get a chance to really try and they'll get a second chance yeah I, I yeah to me it's it's about developing it's about developing and offering that opportunity for me as well it's something and I've always liked to be behind the scenes I don't want to be the one up on stage I don't want to be as much wanting to be in a band when you're younger than that it's actually a thing of it's not about me again it's about developing and learning but say we've we've had bands in the last few weeks here uh, on a Wednesday night walk walk away with over two hundred pounds on a showcase night yeah. Yeah. and a midweek night and it, to me and it wasn't wasn't packed but we've we've changed uh, some of the the ticketing way things ticketing works for the artist so to benefit the artist and without going into another long piece <laughs> about it I have a real big bugbear about pricing of original live music and considering I'm sitting in a venue that obviously its main port of business is selling beer mm-hmm. when the price of a pint is more expensive than a ticket to get into a gig there is something fundamentally wrong with the way the music industry is viewed by the public yeah yeah. someone will come in and have three four pints of beer but will argue about the price of a gig ticket yeah crazy that's a really good way of phrasing that when I'm at a pub and people won't come into my gig I'll yeah, say that now but, uh, <laughs> but then I say free entry gigs yeah should no. be named and shamed yeah, uh, yeah literally the industry should is literally an original artist it just completely 
tears it away from any support for artists because that keeps the price low and other gigs because people then start arguing going well I can see that band for free yes. there's a cover band in the corner of a pub kind of it's there for entertainment purposes yeah, only interesting. whereas if you sit and go you're going to play free there and then it's going to be £8 to get in there and people argue about it or refuse to go the artist can never that artist can never complain about how much money they're ever earning out of their gigs because they're the ones keeping the price low which is where their income's coming yeah yeah yeah, that's really well put. That's really, really well yeah, put. Yeah, we haven't thought about that before. No, oh, I we'll love to talk about that. <laughs> Definitely, we'll we that. will. Look, thank you so, so much. I, I'm aware <laughs> that you have to you have to shoot yeah, off. You're a busy day. I said, I'll, I'll just keep talking and talking, you know <laughs> yeah. me. So. No. Well, no, um, I mean, we really appreciate it. Um, uh, thanks for It's, thanks it's a venue we've spoken a lot about. So, so yeah, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Nice. Thank you, guys. Right, Will, where can people find us? Uh, so we can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, uh, all of those lovely sites. When you're on any of those sites, if there is a space to give us a rating, like there is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for sure, go down, give us five stars, write us a little review. It helps us so much because then it helps other people find our podcast. And uh, we're trying to build a community and have a big old friendly conversation. <laughs> a big old friendly community. <laughs> and that's just is laughing at me. So no, thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank Thank you very much. Cheers.